You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody and welcome to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class, with me your host, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books. So there are a couple more listeners than there were last week. Hi, and welcome, and this is your disclaimer. It's always best just to be clear right off the bat. So here on this show, my podcast, I like to try and talk to you the way I would talk to a friend. Or at the very least, someone I do not despise. And as such, I'm going to use language that I use typically. Some have called it colourful, some have called it despicable and will make sailors blush. But if, you know, general curse words do not ruffle your feathers, welcome. I'm glad to have you here at the Guild of Historical Descent. Oh, I have been upsetting people left, right and centre this week. So the first thing comes from the British East India Company video, right? Because I do like a companion video to go along with last week's episode. And I gave like a really like condensed version, trying to keep it within 90 seconds because that's the limit for Instagram and I try not to make TikTok to go much over it. But yeah, it's very short, very small. And you know, there's always people going like, oh, why didn't you talk about this? Or you missed out this, you missed out the opium wars or what they did to China. I was like, I, I know, I know. But again, the finite amount of time, which is fine. Like I understand and I'll discuss things later on, you know, when I have time or it's relevant or whatever. And I had that video up, but because I'd already put a video up previously about the British Museums Act, which is effectively the UK made it illegal for the British Museum to give back, to repatriate the stuff it looted from other countries. Like it made it illegal. Like there's um like certain rules, like it has to be either a duplicate or damaged or unfit for collection. Although I'd say being stolen makes it unfit, but that's just me. Anyway, so obviously the Union Jack Brigade are after me and it's like, well, why don't you make a video on this? And why don't you make a video on that? And so I found the best response to that is, if you want me to make a specific video on a specific topic, you gotta pay me. 250 euro, please. Thank you. Because like, you want me to go and do the research? You know, find the information, fact check the information, pull that information out and then like 
smush it down into digestible form that's, you know, easy to take in. Like, that's what I have to do. It's a lot of work, even for, again, a 90 second video. So, you know, pay me. And they get real mad at that. They're like, oh, you're a grifter or you're a coward. And it's like, no, clearly you're just broke and <laughs> rabbiting off opinions here, mate. I don't know. The second thing I did was I gave an incredibly mild critique about a true crime podcast that I used to listen to quite regularly and was a fan until one of their episodes just turned my stomach a little bit, you know? And yeah, I have had some of their very avid fans just come at me and just rant at me just aggressively. Like, I, I've started deleting comments because I'm, I'm not taking abuse, like, no. But it was a very mild critique. And somebody was like, well, they would never bash another podcaster. And I'm like, I'm not bashing. It's a critique. I'm just saying why I don't listen to them anymore. And, you know, and I wasn't actually going to tell the story that made me not listen to them anymore because I don't want to trigger people in that way because it's just, it's just bad. But let's talk about good news for a minute. So I submitted my episodes, episodes? My entry into the Irish Podcast Awards. So I guess we're going to wait and see how that goes. Because uh, I'm kind of excited about that one. Because even if I don't make it into the history thing, which I would love to, um, I'd say Finn Dyer's is going to, or Dwyer, sorry, is going to win that one. But good for him. But yeah, I <laughs> it sounded so insincere. Yeah, whatever. But no, he does a lot of work and a lot of research and I'm fairly certain he was really nice to me when I started out. So yeah, he's probably going to do really well in it and good for him. But I think I might be able to get like the listener's choice one. Um, I think the vote comes out in like September um, or August or something like that. But yeah, I just, uh, I think I could do well with y'all because you guys are amazing and you leave me amazing reviews that make my heart sing and you, and you respond to stuff in the videos that I've said that I have forgotten I've said, it's the ADHD. And it's so good, because I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's a thing that I discussed. Yay. And I had, mm, I've got Trova trip happening. So May 24, May 2024, there's a vacation to Scotland with me. And I don't live in Scotland, I live in Ireland. So it's been a while since I've been to Scotland. And also there's like, all these places I've never been and so many castles. I fucking love a wee castle. You know I love a wee castle. But yeah, uh, I'm going to give more details at the end of the show for that for people who are interested. So yay. Also, I'm going to go see the Barbie movie this weekend and you bet your bottom dollar that I have an outfit. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it has been six minutes. Quit your jibber jabber and fact me. In fact, you are well. But first, we've got to get our source on. Our sources are Barbie and Ruth by Robin Gerber The Good, the Bad and the Barbie by Tanya Lee Stone Forever Barbie by M.G. Lord Barbie Culture by Mary F. Rogers Dream Doll, the Ruth Handler story by Ruth Handler And of course, we have articles upon articles. We have History.com, we've got Gizmodo, we have BuzzFeed. Yeah, even BuzzFeed is in on this. 
Oh, and finally, the documentary on Netflix, The Toys That Made Us. Are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then let's begin. So this week's episode is actually dedicated to Maggie in Canada. You know who you are, Maggie. Via it's um of all the episodes to dedicate to you, Barbie. Ah, uh, from Dreamhouse to World Domination. I regret nothing about my <laughs> my tagline. I thought it was funny and I stick by it. So I knew that I wanted to do something on Barbie. I'd been thinking about this for a long time and I considered doing her little like fictional history like of Barbie Millicent Roberts. Her whole thing. But like how do I put this in a way that makes sense? There's like so much to tell but really not a lot to tell. And then I realised that there's actually a lot going on with Barbie and the history of Barbie. So let's start with Ruth Handler going on a family vacation to Europe. Now, the story of the origins, the, the location wiggles a bit, right? Some versions say Germany, others say Switzerland. I'm prone to think Switzerland, but that's just my personal opinion. So Ruth, she's on holiday and she sees this doll. Like, not like a baby doll, but like an adult woman doll. But small, right? So it has breasts and shapes and, you know, has a little sexy side eye going on. And she thinks, yes, this is a toy that girls need. Because there's a gap in the market. She noticed that when her little girl was playing with dolls, that the only dolls that were available to her were like caregiving dolls, right? They were babies and things that needed taken care of. You know, little toy kitchens and things. They were all very homemakery, you know? But there was nothing that involved like imaginative play of having to be, you know, something else. Whereas like boys had like cars and rockets and little army men and all this stuff, right? So like you used to get these wee paper dolls. You still do actually, because... I'm fairly certain I've seen them recently, like you cut them out of a magazine now though. And so Ruth notices that her daughter has a habit of like dressing the little paper dolls and she would like cut little outfits out and dress up the wee doll and how she would act out with them. And she would have more fun like playing with these and acting out little scenes with them than she was, you know, playing with a baby doll. But as a wee sidebar and quite an important one actually, is that there were adult style dolls for young girls to play with. There was. Those dolls happened to be racist. These would be mammy dolls, sort of based on servants of colour, like the character in Gone with the Wind, which really popularised these dolls. So that, that did exist. But, you know, not the same way as a, a little white girl having a doll that represents herself. But yes, back to Switzerland. And Ruth sees this doll, Bild Lily, which is a German doll, which is based off, which was like a character, uh, like this smutty comic strip of this, this sex worker, this German sex worker. And so there was this little doll. And this doll was like a gag gift. So like men would give it to each other. They'd like hang it from the mirror in the car or like put it on the front like a trophy. And it'd be like, you'd give it to someone on a stag do. Or, you know, you'd give it just like a lady friend is like a little winky winky joke of what's to come you know 
it was it wasn't like a thing that kids played with. It it was an adult toy. <laughs> yeah. And she saw this and she's like, absolutely, yes, need this. So she brings a bunch of these back and effectively copies it. Ah ha ha. Does feel a little bit illegal, but there we go. But I guess it wasn't. So Ruth brings three of these dolls back to the States from her European vacay. And her and Jack Ryan, they work together to like redesign the doll a bit. And on what is to become Barbie's official birthday, March 9th, 1959, the Barbie doll is debuted at the American International Toy Fair. And here's the thing. This was an absolutely massive deal because... There was no other doll on the market like this. This was a teenage fashion model. And she looked like a 1950s housewife. She did. She had the shape, you know. And so she was there in this black and white swimsuit, which for many felt was very risque. She had little poodle curls and her hair up in a ponytail. And she had, again, like Beald Lily, that little sultry, sexy side eye. She does... She does look like she wants to give you a wee smooch. She does, though. And, like, she doesn't just show up as a blonde. Like, she's available as blonde or brunette. Which is good, because variety. And, of course, you can't have a fashion model without fashion. So Charlotte Johnson, she's the fashion designer from Mattel, and she creates Barbie's, like, outfits and looks. Because, you know, the purpose of the doll is to get her dressed and change her clothes and, you know look fucking awesome and this debuted in the new york it was in new york that the international american toy fair was on but the dolls unsurprisingly were made in japan and the outfits themselves were like physically they were hand stitched by japanese workers so really it was you know a global partnership speaking of global uh barbie basically takes the world by storm and by world i mean america (laughs) She takes the USA by storm. Uh, She's so popular. The very first doll was like $3, I think, to buy. And they sold, what was it, over 300,000 in like that first year alone. Like, that's how big a deal this doll was. So it's selling for, you know, a couple years. And in 1961, the creators of Beald Lily sue Mattel. So they're pissed off. They're like, you've copied our hip joint. Like That's the official thing. And like, you've copied our look, you've copied our joint. I think the hip joint thing was more of like an official patent issue. And they're like, this is a blatant copy and you owe us shit. So a couple years later, it does get settled out of court. But like, yeah, maybe don't steal an entire doll's design. (laughs) But you know, Barbie came to be. And so Barbie is living her best life. Uh, She's just existing. Life in plastic. Thing's fantastic. She's got loads of clothes. But where's she going to put them? Where's she going to live? She needs a dream house. So there's this like fold down. I think it's cardboard. Like a dream house that gets released in. Is it 62 or 63? And it causes some issues. It's 62. And it causes some issues because her her dream house doesn't have a kitchen. Because, like, the typical um, sort of 
woman at the time was supposed to be like a good housewife. Like that was the purpose. And Barbie didn't have a kitchen. What she did have was a hi-fi stereo. She had mid-century modern furniture. So she was just like funky and partying and just an independent woman living her best life. So she's having a great time. And some of the mums are really mad. So they're like really angry, not only because she looks like a woman, but like, she's 16. Uh, She looks like a woman, but she's, you know, doesn't have a husband. See, one of the things people were worried about with Barbie is that she had like low morals and that she was just a single lady having a good time. And in 1961, actually, so two years after, after release, Ken was introduced. Kenneth Sean Carson. So, like, and Ken exists as a companion to Barbie, a friend, a boyfriend. Like, it's it's always aimed as a boyfriend, right? He's just kind of there, although effectively he's just treated like another accessory of Barbie's. Uh, this was to appease certain people, right? And it is kind of weird, though, because Ruth Handler's kids are Barbara and Kenneth, and she named the dolls Barbie and Ken and made them date. I'm just... I'm just saying it's weird. It's fine. But like, um, even I think growing up, they were like, ah, we didn't really like it because we got a lot of unwanted attention, which is fair. Don't disparage that. So yeah, 1961, Ken makes his debut, right? And in, in a swimsuit, like in his wee shorts, right? That's beach. <laughs> I think that's where the joke for beach Ken comes from. It's just, he's in shorts and he's there having the time of his life. So like the in-universe story is that Ken and Barbie met on the set of a commercial, a fashion commercial, a TV commercial, some kind of commercial, right? They met, right? And that's how they got to know each other and how Ken becomes one of Barbie's main friends. (coughs) Boyfriend. And you'll see over the years that, like, people just sort of appear in Barbie's life as a way of solving a problem. Like, characters will be introduced to just kind of fill a gap, right? Because the purpose of Barbie, right, she is an independent woman and you can imagine her as anything. She can be a doctor, a surgeon, an astronaut, a footballer, an artist, fashion designer, whatever, right? She can have any career she wants, but she's not tied down specifically to another person. Like, Barbie will never get married. She'll wear a wedding dress, yes, but she will never get married. She will never have children. But an off-again, on-again boyfriend wasn't the only thing that Barbie needed in her life. Mattel decided that Barbie needed friends. And so, 1963, welcome Midge. Midge is like auburn-haired and she's a bit more demure than Barbie is. So she's the same size, but she doesn't wear makeup. Her hair isn't as fancy. She's, She's a prim little lady. But you can also swap clothes. So like... Midge had her own fashion line and Barbie had her own fashion line. Ken also has his own clothes that he can change into, which is good because it'd be weird if he was consistently in a swimming costume. I'm just saying. So Midge is introduced to like fill this gap. But one of the first Barbie controversies comes out in 1963 with Sleepover Barbie because she's got a little book and a set of scales. And you know what it said on that tiny little book in Barbie's tiny little arms? Don't eat. Like, that... That was sold to children. Good job, Mattel. 
And in 1964, Skipper is introduced, who is like the teenage younger sister of Barbie. So again, Skipper is introduced to be slightly younger. She's got more of a of a girly shape. I think she's only meant to be like 12 or 14 or something. I mean, part of it is obviously sell more toys. Like that's the purpose of a toy company. It's sell more toys, sell more versions and sell all their accessories and things like that. But you know, being based on a, on a sexy doll does make Barbie a wee bit sexy. And by bringing in these characters, it sort of makes it more uh, acceptable. So this joke starts getting like pallied around and it's about how Ken is queer coded, right? And Matilda's not help themselves in the matter because in 1964, they give Ken his own special friend, Alan. Alan can fit into Ken's clothes and they share clothes. And that's like, that's a selling point of Alan, who is just Ken's special friend. <laughs> but remember, Barbie is an independent woman and also patriotic because this is during the Cold War. There's a space race going on. So before, you know, the USA sends men to the moon, Barbie goes to space, 1965. Barbie is an astronaut. And I think this is actually before women were allowed to go to space. So go you, Barbie, actually. Fuck those boys. But don't actually fuck those boys because I feel like that's illegal and also kind of creepy. And by that, I mean misogynistic astronauts. You leave Buzz Aldrin alone. I am fairly certain he's not a dick. Leave him alone. So we are in the swinging 60s, right? She's been an astronaut and Barbie, again, she still kind of looks a wee bit like a 1950s housewife. So she's looking a wee bit uncool to these like nine to 12 year old girls, which is like Mattel's like core group at this point. And so they start bringing in like this British mod influence. So Barbie gets a cousin, her mod cousin Francie from Britain. <laughs> I don't know why I made her like a really crappy Dick Van Dyke like Cockney. <laughs> could have made her from Liverpool. Could be from Liverpool. She could be from there. Or Newcastle. Or Welsh. Or she could even be from up north, you know. But yeah, Francie, she's a wee bit skinnier than Barbie is. So she doesn't quite fit into Barbie's clothes. But luckily, Francie has a friend, Casey is also skinny and fits into Francie's clothes. Wow, what a crazy random happenstance. How serendipitous. So instead of updating like Midge and Alan and making them cooler, they decide to just like sweep them under the rug. Uh, partially because they decide to make Ken a wee bit buffer, you know, cooler and tougher, like a G.I. Joe. And Alan can't share his clothes anymore, so he's gotta go. And Midge is boring now, so she's gotta go too. And um, remember that wee bit of racism we were mentioning earlier? So they release what is known as um, Black Francie. And it, it's basically the same mold as the Francie doll, but they've just made it a woman of colour. But she has the same features as someone of the Caucasian persuasion. So it's not, it's not quite right, but it's... It's kind of like a tiny half step in the right direction. And I think this is around about the time that the very first sort of celebrity Barbie is released because they released like a Twiggy Barbie. Like Twiggy is like the first working class supermodel. Maybe she's the first supermodel. But she's definitely the first working class supermodel, right? And there's this brilliant 
sort of interview with Woody Allen where he's trying to make her seem dumb and it's really really brilliant because she owns him by just showing up his like pseudo-intellectualism it's fantastic I, it's an absolute delight I suggest you watch it but yeah Twiggy is the celebrity doll and it is massive now I'm not sure if Black Francie is supposed to be like a friend of, of Francie and, and the other one or whether Black Francie is also supposed to be a cousin of Barbie but anyway, 1968, Barbie gets her very own black friend, Christy, who still doesn't quite have African-American features. She has a mod hairstyle and a funky swimsuit. I fucking love it. It's gorgeous. There's just so much colour. God, I want one. The doll or the suit? I will take either, thank you. And the very next year, Barbie gains two more friends. One being Brad, who's Christy's boyfriend. So I guess it's maybe like a double dating scenario with like... Ken and Brad and Christy and Barbie, maybe? Maybe? Yeah. So you've got them and then PJ, who, you know, looks a lot like Midge, but with more makeup on. <laughs> so remember when I mentioned earlier about how Barbie, you know, was never going to have kids and never get married? So in order to sort of bridge this wee gap of why there are no infants around, Barbie gets more siblings who are much younger than her and Skipper. And it's Tootie and Todd. These were twins. So at some point, I can't remember when in the lore, but like Barbie gets parents. And these parents are George Roberts and Margaret Rollin Roberts. So those are her parents who apparently like having children. I don't know why there was such a massive gap between Todd and Tootie and Skipper, but there we go. Maybe George worked overseas. Maybe Margaret was just sick of his shit. Or, you know, maybe they had, like, the Barbie equivalent of IVF. Who's to say? It's 1971 and things are about to get groovy because Barbie gets kitted out with her own camper van. It is pretty sweet. It's, like, yellow with, like, a red top. It's got, like, a rainbow motif on the side, a pop-up tent, it's got sleeping bags, so Barbie and her pals can just go out and adventure and see the world and just have a good fun time. But a sweet new ride is not the only thing that Barbie gets. Oh no, she gets a new look. Uh, so instead of her little sultry side eye, she starts looking forward, which ends up being the very last creative decision that Ruth Handler makes on her beloved Barbie because three years later, both her and her husband, Elliot, are removed from Mattel because investigators discovered that they had not been quite true with um, some money stuff. Uh, I think that the actual quote was, um, had provided false and misleading financial reports. So I'm not sure whether it was because they said they were doing better than they were or that they were doing worse than they were and they were siphoning off something to the side. I'm not sure what was going on, but they, they they were removed from their posts. So 1974, Ruth Handler is out, and I don't know who is the driving force behind Barbie at this point, but they decide to release a skipper called Growing Up Skipper in 1975. And what happens here is um, Barbie's little sister, you, you, would, you would give her a wee pump, right? And, and she would grow. And she would grow breasts. 
Naturally, this did not go down well with parents. <laughs> I don't know how it went down with Barbie, but it did not go down well with parents. So, roll on to 1980. And instead of just having a token friend of colour, two Barbies are released. A Latina Barbie and an African-American Barbie. And, and I don't know who's in charge of the fashion, but whoever is, they gave the African-American Barbie the best outfit. It's like got this like Egyptian neckline. It's so 80s. I am obsessed. So while Barbie's out there loving her best life, just trying to do what she does, Mattel decides to venture into video games and it does not go well. And the company is basically on the verge of bankruptcy. Like it's, it's not done well. But you know what Barbie says, and I'm paraphrasing here, but she says, fuck that for a game of soldiers. I'm going to collaborate with one of the most famous fashion designers on the planet, Oscar de la Renta. And so they released these beautiful, jewel-toned, gorgeous, like, line of just beautiful fashion. <laughs> so beautiful. And it's, like, 1984. It's fantastic. And this sort of gives a resurgence back into, like, the fashion part of Barbie. Because the following year... It's like CEO Barbie. It's the day to night. I don't know if you've seen like the press tour with Margot Robbie wearing the, the outfit with Versace. It is fucking gorgeous and I'm obsessed with it. I would wear it. I love pink though. I do love pink clothes. I love pink everything. My hair is currently half pink, half tangerine. So I like pink. So she's wearing this gorgeous outfit, right? And it's this like pink like suit with like a skirt and it goes into like this fashion sparkly night outfit it is an absolute delight so in 1985 as well they diversify a little bit more as well so you've also got kira who's meant to be native hawaiian miko who's asian american and in like europe she was known as marina and like this was part of like the tropical barbie range and this was around about the same time as Barbie launching this We Can Do Anything campaign. And it's basically telling girls that they can be anything. Like with Barbie, you can be anything. Sort of reaffirming this concept of seeing yourself in Barbie. Of Barbie representing you. You know, you can be anything just like Barbie. And it is huge. Sorry, I am sitting in what I think is the noisiest chair in the world. And I don't know if it's like being picked up on the mic. I'm so sorry. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, 
an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. The very next year, Barbie gets like solidified in pop culture history, or at least pop art history, because Andy Warhol does a painting of Barbie. Now, it was supposed to be of this like jewellery designer, but she was like, I have a massive Barbie collection. I love Barbie. I am Barbie. So don't paint me, paint Barbie. And Andy Warhol being Andy Warhol did. And so we have reached the 1990s, or as I like to tell everyone, the late 1900s. And in 1990, Bob Mackie, the costume designer, collaborates with Barbie. And these dolls, I think they're going for like five grand now. They are just stunning. They're very extra, but they are gorgeous. And 1992 becomes the start of an era for Barbie because... Barbie starts running for president. Like, every single, like, electoral term in the US, Barbie runs for president. So, like, since 1992, like, every electoral term, Barbie, Barbie's ran for president. Like, I think it's seven times now. And she's, and I think the last time she actually went on a campaign trail and there was, like, a woman-only ballot, which was... Really fun, but really annoyed some very, very staunch conservatives. Women's place is in the kitchen. Sweetie, that is where the knives are. Like, the 1992 Barbie has this, like, American-themed dress for, like, the ball and everything. And then, I think, what was it, 2016, there's even, like, a, like a vice president Barbie. Like, there's a full president, vice president, like, a whole fucking team. <laughs> Brian, I bloody love it. Now, I'm not saying that President Barbie is not cool, but Totally Hair Barbie is totally cool. So it's like the best-selling Barbie to date, I think. It's like the most popular Barbie that's ever existed. It She's in this like brightly coloured, swirly dress. It's very in right now. If you look at sort of people who are wearing like 90s fashion, they're like very much wearing this bold like swirly printed outfit. So she's got like crimped hair and I'm trying to remember if she's the one that had the hair that came off. Because there was a Barbie that you had like a Velcro bit on the back of the head where you could just like stick extra hair on and there was one where you would like pump the back and more hair would come out. I wonder if that's the same one or if I'm just having a fever dream. I mean, it's a really good thing that that Barbie did so well because the same year they released Teen Talk Barbie. So there was like 270 voice options and it had four sort of voice things it would say. So you'd press a button, it would say like four phrases. And because there was 270 phrases, they were all sort of... Different dolls would say different things, so it made the doll more collectible because you wanted to have all the phrases, right? But, like, one of the phrases is, like, math is hard. 
And this whole thing inspired a Simpsons episode about Malibu Stacy, where they try to make Malibu Stacy's like alternative smart doll, and it's like the same doll is released by Malibu Stacy, except it's got a hat, and it's everyone goes for the hat because it's a gimmick, and it's the it's it's true though. I would buy something if I had a hat. <laughs> I'm so shallow sometimes. I'm I like it. I like things. That being said, if anyone ever gets me like a retro Care Bear, I will love you forever. That's just, that's just how it is. I, I like retro things. Clearly I'm desperate for simpler times. Like when Barbies freaked everyone out. They still do though. <laughs> so then five years later, more controversies arise. Um, and by more, I mean at least two. So the first one being, um, well, how'd I put this? See, Mattel and Barbie, they're trying to diversify, right? But they don't quite do the right research, they don't talk to the right people, and they don't quite stick the landing. See, here's the thing. For the past, like, seven years, Barbie had been, you know, working with African-American focus groups to, like, remodel, like, the black Barbie's features to be, you know, that of a woman of colour and not just, you know, Malibu Barbie. So, it's a wee shame they didn't also talk to these focus groups when they decided to collaborate with the whole cookie cracker situation. So they released these Barbies. There, there was an Oreo Barbie who was black and a Ritz cracker Barbie who was white. Now, Mattel claims that no one, no one from like conception to production to sale picked up on the fact that both of these are slurs. <laughs> like I'm not laughing at slurs, I'm laughing at the idiocy of every single level of Mattel which is clearly full of just yes men. And um, like Oreo is a very crass term, it's a very rude way. Um, of describing a, a person of colour, it's basically saying that they're black on the outside, white on the inside, like they have no cultural heritage, you know. You know what? No, that's me getting my timeline mixed up. That happened in 2001, when they did the Nabisco, like, deal initially, when they released the Oreo Funtime Barbie, they only released, like, a white Barbie the first time, which, mm, still a little weird, but it was 2001 when they released the other, like, collection of Barbies. But like I said, that was not the only controversy to hit Barbie in 1997. Because they created Becky. Becky's mould was basically Skipper's. It was still Skipper's like face. But they gave her different hair. So Becky is disabled. Becky is in a wheelchair. And the issue with Becky is that Becky didn't fit into Barbie's world. Barbie's world could not accommodate Becky. So the wheelchair couldn't fit into the elevator of the dream house. Uh, she couldn't fit into Barbie's car. There was just all this stuff that nobody thought about in the planning process. It's like, oh yeah, we'll just put her in a wheelchair. It's fine. Not maybe figure out how this will adapt with the system we already have in place. So like, Mattel took this on board and they ended up like 
redesigning the, the Barbie dream house to like fit the wheelchair and stuff. But uh, Becky, Becky gets pulled. Things don't go well for Becky. But yeah, they didn't actually do that. And Becky just whoo, vanished. A lot like her siblings. Ooh. So yeah, we are in the millennium. It's 2001. We have our Oreo school funtime Barbie situation. That's bad. And it doesn't actually cause as much controversy as in 2003 when Midge is back and so is Alan. So Midge and Alan, they get married, right? And then in 2003, they release a Midge doll where Midge is pregnant, right? So the whole concept is that Midge and Alan are grown-up adults as opposed to non-grown-up adults and she's pregnant and she gives birth. Well, it doesn't... Like, she had two tummies and one was sort of rounder and the baby was in it and then one was, like, flat and you took the baby out. Like, that's... It, it was, like, a big, massive deal and Midge is in a wee lavender dress and her moo and... It, like, caused such a stink. People really freaked out about it. Because they were like, it's promoting teen pregnancy. And it's like, they're they're adults. They're married, Link. They're fine. And in 2004, we have some more Barbie and Ken controversy. But I just realised there's a bunch of funny stuff about Ken I didn't mention. So, back when Ken was first released, right? Ruth Handler gets into this like little tiff with sort of the higher ups at Mattel, right? Um, because she's demanding that Ken be slightly more anatomically correct. They want like a bulge in the crotch area. And she does win initially, but when the doll is in Japan and they're trying to get like the clothes on it, like the shorts would not go on Ken because of this bulge. So they had to sort of make him a eunuch and this was like for two reasons obviously the practical thing of getting like the trousers on or the shorts on but also they realized they would save like so many cents for every every doll they made by not having this bulge so it all worked out in the end but as i was saying before that ken is basically queer coded and i don't know if this was a deliberate thing people did just for fun but um like at one point in the 80s they have him in this like oh god and this outfit this leather looking outfit right and his necklace is a cock ring i again i guess everybody at mattel was really sheltered or somebody knew what it was and was like i'm not telling them what it is because they're gonna know too much about me because this is this is not a good era to be mentioned in this right and then, like, in the 90s, they created this shaving Ken. So Ken has a beard, which you would, like, you had this little, like, razor, but it was a sponge, and you would get it wet, and it would make his beard disappear. So Ken had a disappearing, reappearing beard. So clearly, Barbie's had enough of this nonsense, right? And in 2004, Barbie and Ken break up, right? It is over between them and, I mean, Ken is clearly heartbroken because she's Barbie and he's just Ken. And so, in Barbie, she gets a rebound boyfriend, a surfer called Blaine, I think it's Anderson, but Blaine 
the surfer. So initially Ken was beach. He was beach Ken. He was, you know, at the beach, a la beach. And I'm just saying that it's interesting that Barbie chose to have a rebound with someone who is of the beach. So her and Blaine are dating or whatever anatomically incorrect dolls do. And Ken is clearly not happy with this. So he does what any man from a 2000s rom-com would do. And that is try to win her back using billboards. Billboards. And there's this massive campaign. And then Barbie and Ken get back together just in time for Valentine's Day. My oh my, isn't love grand? So Barbie turns 50. It's 2009 and in celebration, there's this New York Fashion Week runway show, right? And all of these like massive designers, they create like haute couture looks for these Barbies. And then they also make like life-size like outfits. So this show goes on and it is just the talk of the town. But like the other thing Barbie does that year is it creates the the sewing style range. And this is where they actually listen to the African-American focus groups. And so they have a range of like facial features, shapes, sizes, styles, and it's all very much related to women of colour. So Barbie's for BAME and POC. And for one glorious year, things are going really well for Barbie. But in 2010, they release a sticker book, like Computer Engineer Barbie. And like nobody really looked at it for a while, but in 2014, someone did. A computer engineer, in fact. And she noticed that in this book, Barbie is like trying to design this video game, but that what happens is she accidentally releases a virus or creates a virus and she has to get help from the men to fix it and help her finish her video game. So this engineer, she ends up putting it online and then all these other coders come in and they go in and they start rewriting the code and fixing it for Barbie. And in a way, it's nice that people came together. <laughs> like they made this like feminist hacker Barbie app. It was absolutely amazing. So back to 2010, in Mattel released a Barbie doll that freaked parents the fuck out. So it was Video Girl Barbie. So it's basically a Barbie doll with a camera in it. And it could record was like half an hour, 30 minutes of footage and it could be streamed to a computer. So this memo goes out to like law enforcement agencies and stuff, basically saying, don't disregard this as a toy because there is a slight possibility that this could have evidence of um, assaults, molestation, things like that. So it's just like a warning. So this release or this information gets leaked to the press and parents go nuts and it's like it's not saying people are going to hack into your little barbie cam they're saying that don't disregard this evidence so that was a whole thing so in 2012 mattel released this friend for barbie called ella ella is bald because ella's going through chemotherapy there was a limited number of these dolls and they were given directly to hospitals But then this cancer patient's mum petitioned Mattel saying that these need to be available for wider release. And in 2014, they did. 
Also in 2014, which I think is the weirdest thing of all out of everything, this still is weird to me, Barbie makes it onto the cover of Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated, like the cover. And, and she's in this like remake of, or a redesign of like the black and white, like original swimsuit. Like it's okay, that happened, you know? Another thing to happen that year, Barbie just really rolls with the trends and becomes an influencer, which is kind of like full circle really when you think about it because she was like a teenage fashion model and now she's an influencer with her own Barbie style Instagram account. And it is so popular, like people are going mad for this, they're obsessed. And honestly, I don't know who's in charge of the Barbie style Instagram account, but like a lot of the time it's hits, not misses. That being said, it does miss occasionally because in 2018, they released this photo of a Barbie with like cornrows like on a wee bit and like a massive blonde weave on the other side. And a lot of women of colour were very mad at that because it looked like she hadn't like finished her hair or... They were just really, really unhappy with it. Like, clearly no one was consulted. Somebody saw one photo of somebody doing that one time and they were like, we're gonna recreate this. But yeah, it, it didn't go down well. But back to 2015, Barbie is also vlogging. So she's like got her own channel and she is talking like to the camera and she's talking about serious issues. Like, um, she talks about like bullying and depression and you know, and starts to be a bit more, again, of this, like, role model again, where it's about challenging certain norms, like, girls often apologising even when they've done nothing wrong, like, things like that. And it's, like, very, very healthy, actually, and a, and a pretty decent thing. But that's not the only thing they did in 2015. They created, like, a Barbie Sheroes, and it was about women who were, like, breaking barriers and boundaries, and so there was, uh, one was created for each, like, Shiro. So there was Kristen Chenoweth, um, Sydney Kaiser, uh, Emmy Rossum, Ava DuVernay, and Trisha Yearwood. And see, the reason these kind of things are happening and the changes are being like thick and fast is because the Gen Xers, right, that were playing with Barbies at like nine and 12 years old, like they're feeding into the nostalgia of it because of, well, <laughs> living through a series of historical events can be quite traumatic for people. And so they want to share something good with their children. And so they're buying Barbies and they're buying them for like a younger demographic. So Barbie's original demographic was like nine to 12 year old, but like they're giving them to the much younger now. So they want to see change. They want to see representation. And that's another thing that Barbie does. In 2016, it brings a selection of all of these different like body types. And of course, you know, a certain group of people were not happy about it because they wanted to keep the big bosomy blonde Barbie and they were mad at anyone else having any form of representation because it's forced diversity, which is not a real fucking thing, numbnuts. But anyway, it's fine. So there's like curvy, tall, petite, there's all these different like shapes and sizes and like it actually puts Barbie on the cover of 
Because, yeah, Mattel, it, its sales were going down and they really needed to shake things up if they wanted people to buy their product. So this line comes out, there's like 22 eye colours. They say colours. I feel like they mean shades. It's like light brown, dark brown, hazel, black. You know, I've pink, not pink. Pink's a silly eye colour. Blue, dark blue, light blue, green, seafoam. You know, I feel like it's shades of colours. So there's like 22 eye colours, 7 skin tones and... 24 hairstyles all in all. So now it's like 13 eye colours. 94 hair colours. I don't know about styles, but hair colours we have. Uh, five body types and 22 skin tones. So like it goes through a fairly decent range actually. And things are looking up. They're really on a roll with Barbie and Mattel think International Women's Day 2018. This is it. We are going to promote Hashtag more role models. It's going to be fantastic. So they have all of these women from history who are really important. You've got Chloe Kim, Patty Jenkins, Catherine Johnson, Amelia Earhart, Misty Copeland, Iris Apfel, others oh, more, there's so many more. Frida Kahlo. Frida Kahlo is the one I actually want to talk about because there's this legal battle that comes about because it turns out that Frida Kahlo's niece, like, illegally or illegitimately, like, used the rights. So, Mattel didn't actually have the likeness rights for Frida Kahlo, and so they really shouldn't have been making the doll. But that being said, the doll shouldn't have been made anyway, because Frida Kahlo was very anti-capitalism. Like, I've, I've got a whole episode on her, like, you can go listen. But, like, she would have been really fucking pissed to see her face used in such a commercial fashion. But yeah, that, that happened. I think Mattel ended up suing the niece or something like that. But yeah, that was one of the things that happened. And in 2019, because it's Barbie's 60th anniversary, they redesigned the doll again. So like, they slim her down a little bit, they reduce the bust, they give her toned arms, her waist is thicker, and they make her just a little bit more realistic, like they're Barbie Barbie doll, which is nice. It's a good change. So in 2020, 2021, they start releasing these more Shiro dolls. So you've got Naomi Osaka, Madison de Rosario, Kirby White, and Samantha Cristoforetti. So they've got all these different people from all these different sort of backgrounds. Like, I think my mum was telling me actually, like she recently saw Barbie that had sort of a prosthetic leg. So like you've got these Barbies now that actually have accoutrements, you know, accessories that are relevant for their for their different needs. So again, girls of different like backgrounds and situations and accessibility needs, they can see themselves in Barbie. And again, I know it's capitalism. I know they're just trying to sell a doll to me and the accessories and the funky pink Barbie socks I'm currently wearing. I know. And I know I fell for a hook, line and sinker. But if it is pushing companies to be more diverse, to show more options for women, for girls, to have them fund all these projects, then fucking yes, I will buy that merch. And I will, I will show them with my money because that's what they listen to and I'll do it. And so Barbie has been here. Barbie has been happening. And I think now with 
the movie coming out and the resurgence of it and just the ridiculously amazing marketing of Mattel for this whole thing, I think has just created another like Barbie resurgence. And I have a weird feeling that because of who is involved in this film, that it's going to become like a cult classic movie. And it's probably going to make me buy more pink clothes. I'm just, just saying. But anyway, that is the history of Barbie. Thank you for listening. I'm glad you did. So if you liked my retelling of Barbie's timeline history stuff, feel free to rate and review five stars and tell me if you ever got a Barbie and what your favourite Barbie was because I want to I wanna know. Because I had a skipper, right? I had this skipper who came with like a blue hair mascara and she had these pale blue like dungarees. What was it? What was it made? It was corduroy. She had pale blue corduroy dungarees and a little hat and this blue mascara. And I adored this doll. I wanted to have clothes like this doll. I actually would not say no to some like flared corduroy dungarees. (laughs) I think I'd rock that look. I'd make it work because it came like in blue and then I think she had a friend who like wore green and someone else wore another colour. But like, I loved that. Although I was originally a Cindy girl growing up and not a Barbie girl, but like... Oh wait, I know, Cindy had a Jeep that had like a little roof thing that turned into like a jet ski. That was pretty sweet. But yeah. Um, If you like the video, don't forget to rate and review five stars. I would love it very much. Thank you. And it really helps me and the podcast and it helps me get up the charts and the ratings. I don't know how the algorithm works, but it does. So Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, just yay. And if you listen all the way to the end, it also really, really helps my stats. It really, really does. Um, So I'm going to talk about Trover Trip for like a hot minute. So what is a trip to Edinburgh that you'd be sharing with me? I actually, I've been to Edinburgh once actually I've been to Edinburgh once in my life and I I'm literally flying over and flying back in like one day to go see my friends um comedy show at Fringe and then I'm flying back I'm gonna have no sleep it's fine it's fine but I'm not really gonna enjoy any like time in Edinburgh so I'm actually really looking forward to this because I fucking love a castle so it's a seven day trip it's going to like four different locations we're going to have local guides, but you also have me, your Trova Trip host. So we're going to have that and I'm going to run through the list of everything we're doing. Okay, so there's an Edinburgh City walking tour, a castle esplanade walk, Edinburgh Castle tour, Dunkeld Estate Village visit, Cairngorms National Park, Highland Folk Museum, Whiskey Distillery Tour and Tasting, Balneuron of Clava visit, Island Dunnan Castle visit, the Isle of Skye tour, Armadale Castle visit, Museum of the Isles, St. Conan's Kirk, Killarn Castle. And that's the locked and loaded itinerary, right? So there's six breakfasts, two dinners, but I will find really good places for us to eat because I speak the lingo, or at the very least, I can understand the lingo. Because I don't live there, I live in Ireland, right? And um, yeah, um, I'm going to do like a wee hangout on one of the nights and I'm even going to do like, a dark and twisted history tour and I'm currently working on like a live like podcast as well but that's I'm, I'm trying to work that out otherwise I might just be telling you stories 
let me tell you about the Battle of Culloden and just like going off on it. <laughs> let me tell you what Outlander got right and got wrong. <laughs> so it is normally, it's normally $3,445 in total. But the first, I think, eight people get an early bird price and they get $200 off. So it's 3245 So you're in like three-star hotels, all the city transfers are covered, like the airport like transfers covered as well. So that's pretty neat. So like, for example, if you fly into Glasgow, it'll take you to Edinburgh. Or if you fly into London, you can get up to Edinburgh. Like you're not going to be stuck in another part of the country. It's pretty cool. So if you are interested in that and hanging out with me and having just a fucking cool time, there's a wee link in the description down below and it's on all my socials and it'll be really cool. Because once people start like adding on to it, then we can have like a proper chat and we can plan what we're going to do and we can like maybe do like a pub quiz and shit places. Because <laughs> I think it'd be really fun just to do some like proper local stuff. Because, like, there's loads of places in Scotland I haven't been to. And, like, I've only been to Edinburgh on this list. I don't think I've been to anywhere else. So I think it's going to be just so fucking fun. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. But, um, oh, recommendation time. Obviously, recommendation time. So, reading. I was rereading Jeanette McCarty's I'm Glad My Mum Died. Like, or My Mum's Dead. Like, I, I loved it. It's poignant and dark and... It is funny, but you have to like have that dark humour within you to like relate to it, I think. Otherwise, you might just feel sad. But that's our reading recommendation. Our watching recommendation is I'm I'm gonna recommend you go watch the Barbie movie. And for listening, I am gonna recommend if you're into true crime at all and you want people that are victim first and really just good people, I'm gonna recommend Murder Most Irish. Now, they can get a bit chatty at the beginning of an episode, uh, like me, <laughs> but they're always considerate, thoughtful and respectful to, like, victims, victims' families, but, you know, they're not afraid when it comes to perpetrators to call a dick a dick. And that is everything for today, so I am going to say farewell to you. Until next time. Adios. Au revoir. Au revoir, my friends. Bye-bye.